From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Pancreatic cancer accounts for about 3% of all cancers in the United States, but accounts for 7% of all cancer deaths, and it's the fourth leading cause of death from cancer. Advances in the treatment of pancreatic cancer are offering hope, and today I'm speaking with an expert about this disease, Dr. Thomas Vandermeer. He's a professor of surgery at Upstate. He serves as chief of surgical oncology and as a pancreatic surgeon, and he's had extensive experience in the care of patients with pancreatic cancer. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Vandermeer. Thank you for having me, Amber. Well, Jeopardy host Alex Trebek was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer when it was at stage four, and I understand most pancreatic cancer patients are diagnosed at stage four. Can you explain the stages and why most people don't find out about it at an earlier stage? Yeah, so um, the, there's four stages in cancer. Stage four is unfortunately what Alex Trebek had, and um, that's when the cancer has traveled to some distant site beyond the, the pancreas. And um, most commonly that's in the in the liver, it can be in, into the lungs and into the abdominal cavity as well. Um, so let me stop you if I can and interrupt. It, it, you say it travels, the cancer, does it go through the bloodstream or how does it get from the pancreas to other places? Yeah, so it commonly goes through the through the bloodstream, and then the, the blood from the pancreas drains into the liver, and so that's uh, one of the main reasons for the propensity of pancreatic cancer to implant in the in the liver. Um, it also gets into the lymphatics, which are uh, fluid tubes that that drain fluid around the body, and so it can get into the system through uh, the lymph nodes that, that surround the pancreas as well. Well, do we know why cancer starts in the pancreas? Uh, cancer can start in really any cell because um, the basic mechanism by which cancer forms is through the dysregulation of the growth of the cell, uh, usually through some uh, series of genetic changes that, that cause uh, cancer to keep growing when normal cells would grow, divide, and then the original cells um, die back as the normal method of replenishment of the body, uh, cancer cells just continue to, to grow and have uh, progressive changes that then cause them to spread um, into other places in the body. Do we have any way to predict who is likely to develop pancreatic cancer? Uh, we're starting to get some information about a few of the predispositions, although um, the vast majority of pancreatic cancers are what we call sporadic, meaning that, that there really isn't any identifiable predisposition to them. Uh, we are increasingly identifying genes that, that can be present at the time of, of birth that cause an increased likelihood of pancreatic cancer. Um, but most of the, the genetic changes in pancreatic cancers are Acquired during during lifetime. So, are there risk factors that we can do something about that would help reduce our risk? Yeah. So the the main um, behavioral risk factors are uh, smoking and obesity. Um, there are some environmental exposures to you know people who work with chemicals and things like that. But by and large, the by far by far the, the most common risk factor is uh, smoking and obesity. 
Well, smoking again, even though pancreas, you think smoking with, I think smoking with lungs, but it can affect, I guess, cancer anywhere. Yeah, because the, the things that, I mean, obviously the lungs are exposed to, to smoke primarily, but the, the changes, the, the, the chemicals that are introduced into the body as a result of smoking can really uh, cause mutations and genes in many different places in the body. So smoking in general is, is just a risk factor for many different kinds of cancer. Well, getting back to the idea of the stage four, it's usually progressed before people discover it. Do you think there's ever going to be a way to screen for pancreatic cancer so that it could be caught earlier? Yeah, that, we're, we're looking into um, all kinds of different ways of uh, screening people for um, who are at increased risk. And we, and we do know now that there are uh, some genetic mutations, uh, you know, most commonly uh, what we call a BRCA mutation, which is um, uh, present in a lot of patients with breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And so we do screen them. Uh, currently, what we're doing to, to screen people is uh, based on doing tests like CTs or MRIs. Um, there's a test called an endoscopic ultrasound, where there's an ultrasound probe placed uh, into the stomach and can really give us detailed views of the pancreas and can pick up on uh, uh, tumors as they, you know, when they're very small. Uh, we also um, are looking into how we can look at genetic changes in the juice of the pancreas so we can go down into the intestine with a scope and aspirate some of the, some of the fluid and look at genetic um, changes and changes in the proteins that are, that are present in the, in the pancreatic juice. So that's a, a very active area of investigation. Um, that hasn't been really uh, elucidated yet, uh, nor have the uh, uh, populations that would be at sufficient risk to uh, undergo um, intensive screening. Um, so, uh, but it's something that we're working on quite a bit. This is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Thomas Vandermeer. He's the Chief of Surgical Oncology, and we're talking about pancreatic cancer. Now, I've heard there's two main kinds of pancreatic cancer. Can you tell us about them? Yeah, the, the types of cancer uh, tend to be divided into the type of cell uh, from which they originate. And so the most common type is what we call a ductal adenocarcinoma. And that, that's a cancer that arises from the, uh, the cells that line the ducts uh, that uh, transport the fluid that's made by the pancreas down into the intestine. And that's the most common type. That's the, that's the danger, the most dangerous type. Uh, the, um, uh, by far and away, the less common type is called a neuroendocrine uh, tumor. And, uh, and those are uh, generated from the cells that produce hormones like insulin and some other hormones that regulate bodily functions. Uh, those are much, much less aggressive and, and uh, spread much less commonly. Uh, but even when they do spread, um, patients survive a uh, long, long period, years and years and years, even with metastatic disease, if it's originating from neuroendocrine carcinomas of the, of the pancreas. Um, those, those patients also often have uh, symptoms of hormonal excess, so that the, the hormone that's made by those cells um, can cause things like 
uh, increased production of insulin or um, increased production of other hormones that um, have other effects on the, on the GI tract. Um, but the prognosis from that, uh, from those tumors is much, much better. So the the really bad one, the uh, you, I think you called it adenocarcinoma? Yeah, the ductal adenocarcinoma. So that's the kind that Alex Trebek had. Yeah, that's when people talk about pancreatic cancer, that's by and large what they're talking about. So how do people typically find out that they have this? Do they do they just at a regular annual physical? Is the doctor able to find something unusual, or how, how is it usually discovered? Yeah, it's not it's not something that can be discovered on physical examination because the pancreas sits uh, deep inside the body, uh, really on top of the spine, and so one of the reasons that that often pancreatic cancer presents uh, after it's metastasized is that it will grow without really causing any, any symptoms. Um, the, the main um, symptom that, that people identify is jaundice because the, the, the duct that drains bile from the liver into the intestine runs through the pancreas. And if a tumor develops in that site, it, it will block the bile duct causing jaundice even when it's very small. So uh, when people get jaundice, that's, that's uh, frequently in a way that we detect these uh, early on. The other way is that, um, you know, having CAT scans is much more common than it used to be. And so we're identifying a lot of these incidentally when CAT scans are done for other reasons. And, and so we're, we're picking up um, a lot of small and curable pancreatic cancers at this point. So if someone uh, has something discovered when they go in for a CT scan for, for something else, or if they have severe jaundice, how do you go about making sure and diagnosing it is pancreatic cancer? Uh, so we we always try to get a biopsy, and that's uh, most often done with this endoscopic ultrasound test that I mentioned uh, a while back. Um, and that's where an ultrasound probe is on the end of a, uh, a scope that's placed in the stomach, and, and a thin needle can be advanced uh, through the stomach right into the uh, tumor and, a, and a, um, the diagnosis can be confirmed that way. So how do you decide what stage it's at uh, after you do the biopsy? Does that tell you the stage? Um, no, the stage is determined um, definitively after after the tumor is, is removed, if it's, if it's operable. If it's, um, and, but basically stage one is a very uh, early cancer that is not spread to lymph nodes. Stage two is basically when it's spread to lymph nodes. Stage three is when it's um, either inoperable or it's a uh, lymph node spread is is uh, extensive, but it hasn't spread to a different uh, organ like like the liver or the lungs. Well, what can you tell us about the organ, uh, the pancreas, the organ in terms of, does it matter where the cancer shows up in this organ? As to you know what you're going to be able to potentially treat for the patient, uh, uh, to some extent it does because um, if it if the cancer is in the area where it causes jaundice and, and that's a visible sign that draws attention uh, to the cancer, those tend to be smaller, and uh, we cure those uh, more often. Um, when when we do um, cure pancreatic cancer, it's when we do catch it early. Um, and um, 
and we're able to give chemotherapy uh, as well as surgery um, to address the so I was going to ask in general what the treatment options are, but you just mentioned a couple of them, surgery and chemo. Um, I'm imagining it, it, it's different for every patient as in terms of whether you're able to do surgery or, or if you do that before or after chemo. What, what, is, what is typical if there is something typical? Well, so that's, um, that, that, that's a big question right now. When we, when we see uh, pancreatic cancer that we think is, is operable, um, there is um, a large study going on right now to determine whether or not uh, giving chemotherapy before the surgery uh, improves uh, survival uh, or if doing surgery first, which has been the traditional way to do things, is, um, is equivalent or, or even better. Um, so that's a big un unanswered question. Um, and, uh, and, but the reason it's come up is because there have been some small studies that have shown that if we give chemotherapy Prior to surgery, there are some advantages, and, and one of those advantages is that it can uh, downstage the, the tumor. It can it can make it smaller, and that makes the surgery more effective because um, it's less likely then that there would be some microscopic tumor left behind from the surgery. The other benefit is that is that then we can see when we look at the surgical specimen um, what the effect of the chemotherapy has been. So if we give some chemotherapy before surgery. And then on the specimen, we see that there's been a really nice response, and we know that, that that's an effective chemotherapy for that particular cancer, and that's what we would give after surgery. So can you actually, in the operating room, can you see the cancer in the organ is visually? Yeah, frequently we can. Uh, you know, we, we always try to uh, divide the tissue well away from the, the, the tumor. Uh, as far as we can get away from it, because pancreatic cancer tends to be fairly infiltrative. So we um, really just um, get all of the tissue that we can off of the vital structures, leaving nothing behind. HealthLink on Air will be right back with more about pancreatic cancer from Chief of Surgical Oncology, Dr. Thomas Vandermeer. Welcome back to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Thomas Vandermeer about pancreatic cancer. He's the Chief of Surgical Oncology at Upstate, and we've been talking about treatment options for stage four pancreatic cancer. Can you talk about the stroma and what's being done to get treatment through the stroma? Now, the stroma is a very interesting thing. So the stroma is um, really divided into, into three parts. There, uh, and, and what stroma is, is, is the uh, area around a tumor, which in pancreatic cancer tends to be very thick. The, it, it generates a lot of scar tissue around it. And that's one of the things that makes it difficult to treat uh, because that, uh, those thick um, scar-like proteins uh, prevent the infiltration of chemotherapy uh, in, into, the, into the tumor. Um, so that's one aspect is the scar tissue around it. That makes it very challenging. Um, the uh, second part of the stroma is the vasculature, the blood vessels, um, that uh, cancer causes blood vessels to, to develop. It secretes hormones that make blood vessels develop, and that's one of the uh, pathways of metastasis, like you mentioned earlier. So uh, what the cancer will do is it will generate the scar tissue that makes chemotherapy difficult to infiltrate, and then it generates a lot of blood vessels that give the cancer a route out of the primary site and into the bloodstream and to, to other organs. And then the third component of it 
are uh, cells that that create the, the, the stroma. Um, and, and there's different types of cells, and there's um, cells that uh, kind of encourage tumor growth and these cells that discourage tumor growth. So these are all, as you can imagine, active areas of, of investigation because if we can say, for example, get the um, uh, protein around the tumor to allow the chemotherapy to, to enter, then um, chemotherapy can be much more effective. Uh, the stroma also prevents uh, uh, infiltration of uh, tumor-killing uh, lymphocytes, which is uh, really a big area of investigation and success in a lot of other uh, cancers. It hasn't been as effective in, in pancreatic cancer uh, because there's this barrier to, the, to the, the body's own immune cells to get in to attack the pancreatic cancer. And so and there's a lot of uh, work being done to look at how we can break down that stroma so that, that these uh, cancer killing cells that are in the body can, can do that. Now, what about molecular profiling? Are you using that? Uh, yeah, very, very much so. We're, uh, as I mentioned, increasingly understanding the genetics of pancreatic cancer. And we're getting to the point now where um, we know that certain um, genetic profiles will predict uh, better response to treatment for different types of uh, anti-cancer drugs. Um, uh, in, other, in other types of cancer, these immunotherapy drugs and, uh, that are based on specific ge genetic profiles have been uh, incredibly effective and that have actually really reduced uh, mortality rates and things like lung cancer. Um, we haven't gotten to that point in pancreatic cancer um, for because these tumors tend to elude the immune system. So when do you recommend having relatives tested for hereditary pancreatic cancer? Does every pancreatic cancer patient need to have their family members tested? Um, no, the you know, as I mentioned, most pancreatic cancers are are sporadic and not part of a a family a familial syndrome. And so that just having one uh, first degree relative have pancreatic cancer does increase the, the likelihood of, of, of a first degree relative having pancreatic cancer, but um, not to the but not to the degree that screening would be um, effective. Um, we also don't have really great screening mechanisms. Um, so, it's not currently recommended. Screening is enhanced screening is recommended uh, for um, patients who have uh, uh, BRCA2 mutations and uh, and other uh, similar mutations. Um, there are rare um, uh, genes that um, predict um, familial pancreatic cancer and familial pancreatitis, which is an inflammatory condition of the of the pancreas, and so. Um, people with those specific uh, genetic syndromes, and there's about 10 or 12 of them um, that are uncommon, but if present, uh, do warrant uh, screening. And you mentioned BRCA, that's the breast cancer gene. Yeah, so... but only BRCA2. BRCA1 okay. is, the, is, the more, is the more common breast cancer gene. Now, what do you suggest in general for people um, who've been given a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer? Is it worth it? Do they need to get a second opinion uh, to make sure? 
Um, I don't think routinely patients need to get a, a second opinion um, about the about the diagnosis um, uh, unless their um, treating physician thinks that there's a reason to, to doubt the diagnosis. It is a, a fairly straightforward diagnosis for a pathologist to, to make. But if there is discordance between the clinical impression and the pathologic impression, then by all means, I, I have seen occasionally where a biopsy will show a pancreatic cancer, but clinically we don't think that that's accurate. And, and so we do always send that out for a second opinion and sometimes on re-biopsy. Well, if someone's being treated for stage four pancreatic cancer, they know they have it, does the pancreas still function and do what it's supposed to be doing, or does the cancer prevent the organ from working? Uh, it, it can certainly prevent the organ from working properly. And what the pancreas, the pancreas has two main functions. Uh, one is to, to make hormones like insulin. And so frequently in patients with pancreatic cancer, insulin production is compromised. And, um, and about two thirds of patients who are diagnosed with pancreatic cancer um, will um, have uh, uh, new onset diabetes within the past year of the diagnosis. Um, and so uh, many of those patients do require uh, control of their blood sugar. Uh, and then the second uh, function is uh, digestive point. And the pancreas makes the digestive juice that helps us break down our um, fat and protein in our diet. And, uh, and if that um, uh, transit of the pancreatic juice from the pancreas into the intestine is blocked by the tumor, then people have pancreatic insufficiency and fat malabsorption and weight loss just on that basis. Well, Alex Trebek was able to, or he appeared on Jeopardy and, and did the recordings all through his treatment up until, you know, a few days before he died. So it makes me wonder, are, I mean, are people not in pain when they're dealing with this? Are they able to go on about their lives or was that unusual for him? Um, you know, I think that, that um, when people are at end stages of, of pancreatic cancer, like Alex Trebek was, um, they typically are not as healthy as, as, as he was. Um, and um, so I would not say that, that his experience is necessarily typical, um, but the symptoms don't tend to be related to pain so much as they do to uh, fatigue and uh, weight loss and um, just sort of uh, generalized gradual uh, failing. He was certainly remarkable in many ways. Well, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Chief of Surgical Oncology, Dr. Thomas Vandermeer, about pancreatic cancer. So we've talked a lot about stage four, but what are the treatment options if the cancer's contained to the pancreas? Because I'm thinking surgery is maybe more of an option if it's caught earlier, right? Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, so so uh, we always look... Uh, to see if we can remove the, the tumor surgically. Um, the reasons that we uh, may not uh, think that surgery would be helpful would be if it's spread to another organ um, or if it's not possible because the, the tumor is growing into um, arteries and veins that, that render it uh, inoperable. Um, in, the, in the second case, we will often try to uh, convert uh, that tumor into something that we can't operate on. 
and with improvements in chemotherapy, we're seeing that happen much more often than, than we used to. Um, it does, could someone ever uh, seek a pancreas transplant? Is that ever used to treat pancreatic cancer? Uh, no, the we, we, we uh, pancreas transplants primarily used for uh, patients uh, with either uh, severe type one diabetes uh, or patients who have had uh, severe destruction of their pancreas from pancreatitis, um, and, um, and in that case, they get uh, a transplant of just the insulin producing cells. Um, but uh, during transplantation. Uh, immunosuppressive medications have to be given, and those actually encourage the, the, the growth of, of cancer. I see. So the surgery, potentially, you could remove just the tumor or tumors, maybe. Do you ever remove the whole organ or part of the organ? Um, yeah, typically uh, what we would do is um, one of two operations. If, if the um, cancer is is present in uh, one part of the pancreas. We remove that entire kind of part of the pancreas. Um, if, it's, uh, if it's present in what we call the head of the pancreas, then there's a lot of structures kind of coming together in that area, the gallbladder and the bile duct and, and part of the intestine. Um, so we do remove um, portions of the pancreas in order to be able to get all the way around the tumor and have no microscopic tumor present at the edges. I was going to ask you to tell us about the Whipple procedure. I've heard that's a really challenging surgery. Is that what you just described? Yeah, the, the Whipple procedure involves remo removing the, the head of the pancreas, first part of the intestine, the bile duct, and the gallbladder. And then the reconstruction of that um, requires uh, us to join three areas together. So the uh, residual intestinal tract to the pancreas, the bile duct, and the end of the stomach. Um, and that's a challenging operation for uh, people to get through, uh, mostly because of uh, GI function. Um, the, the, the stomach doesn't function normally at first after, after that whole anatomic rearrangement. Um, people do get back to eating normally and, and the quality of life returns to normal uh, after the Whipple procedure. Um, and uh, actually we did a study a number of years ago, where we compared quality of life six months after Whipple procedure to uh, a, a, an open gallbladder operation, and uh, quality of life had returned to baseline in, in, in both groups. So, in surgery, whether it's the Whipple procedure or another technique for someone who you know it was maybe caught early in, does that remove the threat of pancreatic cancer coming back later? No, unfortunately, at this point, it, it, it doesn't remove it entirely. Um, we are seeing an increased rate of what we think are um, cures in pancreatic cancer. Um, but um, unfortunately, the, the way things stand now, the majority of patients still do recur um, after surgery. Um, but um, uh, surgery, along with chemotherapy, really does extend life quite a bit. So patients that have gone through um, surgery for this, are they followed um, regularly to make sure it doesn't come back? Or who, who would be their, their primary doctor or who would they see for that? 
no, so so uh, the people are followed very, very closely um, every three months at, at first. And the way that we uh, check on things is by getting CAT scans of the chest, the abdomen, and the pelvis because the, the cancer can recur in any of those areas. Um, and then there's a blood test too that, that uh, is, is a protein that we can measure in the blood that is produced by pancreatic cancer. And so we track that very carefully. In terms of who does it, it's um, usually the, the surgeon and the medical oncologist, the um, doctor that gives the chemotherapy uh, follows uh, along uh, with the patient together. And then it's also important to um, have a whole team put together of uh, nutritionists and, um, and uh, you know, increasingly we focus on what we call survivorship which is, is, is how you manage things after you've kind of come through your treatment and you're cancer free and you have this intense focus on, on how, what am I gonna do about this cancer? And that goes on for months and then you're done with all that. And, and so getting back to living your normal life is uh, obviously really important. And so we have a whole team of people who focus on those various uh, other issues. Well. well, before we wrap up, I want to ask if you can tell us about the palliative surgical procedures you do for patients with pancreatic cancer. Yeah, so so the uh, pancreatic cancer can um, block the uh, drainage of the stomach, and so uh, people can have trouble with nausea and vomiting. And so sometimes we have to uh, create a, a bypass um, so that food can get from the stomach down into the um, downstream gastrointestinal tract. So we will do a procedure to uh, create an opening uh, between those two areas so that the patients can eat again. Um, and the same thing can happen in the in the bile duct. The, the, the tumor can, can block the, the bile duct. And, uh, and sometimes uh, surgery can be used to, to, to bypass um, the, the blockage as well. Uh, what's more common uh, for the blockage in the bile duct is um, to have a stent put in uh, with an endoscope that can that, that can avoid surgery and keep the, the bile flowing uh, from the liver into the intestine. Um, another symptom that's relatively common in pancreatic cancer is back pain because the tumor can infiltrate into nerves um, uh, that um, can cause back pain. And so uh, nerve blocks can be very effective at, at controlling that. Uh, as can radiation, but but most people do quite well with just a just a nerve block. Well, this has been very informative. I appreciate your time. Thank you to Dr. Thomas Vandermeer. He's the chief of surgical oncology and he specializes in pancreatic cancer at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.